The sun rises over the San Joaquin Valley, California. Today is June 5th, 2020. Have you heard about a new once-a-day gabapentinoid for post-herpetic neuralgia? It's called Growlize. Keep it in mind, but also be mindful of the price. According to GoodRx, 30 tablets of 300 milligrams may cost $200 with a discount coupon. Consult your patient's formulary to verify its coverage. On Tuesday, May 24th at 9.32 p.m., a 3.7 magnitude earthquake was felt in East Bakersfield. The quake's epicenter was estimated at Corrientes Street near Kern Medical, according to the USGS. There was no damage and the shaking was described as light and a typical Californian earthquake. This serves as a reminder for emergency preparedness. Make sure you have a plan and good home storage in case of a major event. Finally, something different than COVID-19 caught national attention on May 25, 2020. Unfortunately, it was not a positive note. An African-American man named George Floyd was killed by a policeman in Minnesota. This has caused national commotion and has heated up the debate about racism in the U.S. Hopefully, by the time you listen to this episode, justice has been served. Welcome to Rio Bravo Q Week, the podcast of the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program, recorded weekly from Bakersfield, California, a land where growing is happening everywhere. The Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program trains residents and students to prevent illnesses and bring health and hope to our community. Our mission is to seek, teach, and serve. Sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista, we are providing compassionate and affordable care to patients throughout Kern and Fresno counties since 1971. If you are not willing to learn, no one can help you. If you are determined to learn, no one can stop you. Zig Ziglar If you are determined to learn, you are just unstoppable. Your residency experience can be enriched by your determination to learn. Dear residents, make sure your eagerness to learn works in your favor as a driving force during this unique period of your life. Today we have a resident with a strong determination to learn and I'm very happy to have her here today. She has successfully overcome many obstacles and she's here today with us as a PGY3. Welcome Dr. Faridi, where I am very glad to have you here today. And as I told you, this is going to be fun, so we don't have to be scared. We don't have to be stressed about this. Uh, we're all new doing these kind of um, you know, exercises. But we're going to start with question number one. I asked five questions, and then question number one is basically to introduce yourself. Who are you? Uh, hello, my name is Amna Fridi. I am a third-year resident at Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program in Bakersfield. Um, I was born in New Jersey and uh, moved to Pakistan during my high school years. I relocated back uh, to USA after finishing my medical school and getting married. I am also a mother to very two active children. My hobbies, they include um, reading and watching period dramas, but I don't get much time for that between my children and residency. It has been on a halt for some time now. 
Um, so at this time, my only entertainment at home is currently watching Baby Shark with my two kids. <laughs> okay. So, by the way, Dr. Faridi's husband is also a doctor, right? Yes, he okay. is. And, uh, okay, I'm going to ask you now question number two. Um, so the question number two is basically the main part of this podcast. And I want you to tell us what you learned this week. So um, this week, um, I learned a lot of things, as we do in every clinic week. Um, a lot of unique cases come in. But um, it is about the different colorectal cancer screenings. Um, as primary care physicians, um, preventive visits are very important for our patient's well-being. At age 50, colorectal cancer screenings become part of the preventive care in an average risk patient. I have observed um, that, that patients can be hesitant um, in getting these colorectal screenings done, which can be due to a number of reasons that I will highlight as we progress in this discussion. Yeah, I can tell probably patients don't feel like having a colonoscopy is a fun process, right? Yes. They are very anxious. Okay. Yeah, this is a very good topic, and, and I'm glad that you bring it um, to the table. I'm surprised to know that actually the American Cancer Society, or ACS, listen to this, it's the ACS, recommends that people at, at average risk should start screening at age 45. And I was actually surprised for this because it was a guideline that came up in 2018, and I was not aware of it. Uh, people who are in good health and with a life expectancy of more than 10 years should continue regular colorectal cancer screening through the age of 75. And again, this is from the ACS. Between ages 76 and 85, the decision to be screened should be based on a person's preferences, life expectancy, overall health, and prior screening history. People over 85 should no longer get colorectal cancer screening. So and this is according to the ACS and the USPSTF agrees with all these guidelines except with the age when we should start screening, which is at age 50. And this is a 2016 recommendation. It's being revised right now. And hopefully within the next year, we're going to have an update in the screening age or in the screening recommendations from the USPSTF. So Dr. Faridi, um, there are different ways to screen for colorectal cancer. So I understand that you are going to tell us some of them today. Yes, so I'm going to cover some of them that we can offer in our clinic. Um, there are multiple screening tests that are available to detect the colorectal cancer and the adenomatous uh, polyps, which differ um, in their sensitivity, the specificity, the availability of the test, and also the effectiveness and the cost of the test. So the first test that I'm going to talk about is a stool-based test, which is called the FIT test, uh, it stands for fecal immunochemical test for blood in the stool. So this test is a very simple test, which is directly measuring the hemoglobin in your stool. So the test procedure is that it is a simple test, which is performed by collecting only one stool sample provided by the patient in a special collection container. And in the United States, it is usually performed annually. In some other countries, I did read that they do it twice or three, three times even in a year. 
what are the advantages and disadvantages that we can have on this test? So because it is such a convenient test, um, it is a simple test, um, it has a very high adherence rate. Um, there are also no prerequisites to this test, so you do not need to have any dietary or any medication restrictions. Um, patients do not need any bowel prep prior to this test as compared to clonoscopy. Um, also, you do not need sedation. Patients do not have a fear or anxiety level, which they do in comparison to other invasive testings. Um, it also requires only one sample if you compare it to the GOAC FOBT test, which requires usually three sample collections. Um, as compared to the, the FOBT test, the FIT test is more sensitive for the colon lesions. When compared with the FOBT test, the FIT screening has higher detection rate for CRC and the advanced adenomas due to its higher sensitivity and the specificity, and also a higher screening participation rate with the FIT test. But one of the disadvantages that came up in the, in the trials was that the FIT test is less sensitive, sens sorry, it's less sensitive for detection of the right-sided colon lesions as compared to the left-sided colon lesions. So this test, the FIT test, um, so it's supposed to be superior to the other FOBT test. And uh, we just have to remember that screening for colorectal cancer equals screening for polyps. Because basically what you're testing is blood in the stools. You don't know where it's coming from. It can be coming from the left side, from the right side. But it's a good test to detect early polyps uh, and possibly cancer. Because many cancers, they arise from polyps, as we know. So can, what can you tell us about other methods that you can use for screening? So the, um, the second test that I'm going to talk about is called a multi-targeted stool DNA testing with the FIT test. Um, and in the United States, it's known as the Cologuard. So this specifically interested me because um, this um, Cologuard, uh, I've, I was reading about it this week. Uh, we have it now at our clinic. It is also a relatively simple test. Um, it is a composite of testing. Um, as I said earlier, it is a stool DNA along with testing the hemoglobin testing. The stool DNA is tested for the DNA of the KRAS mutation. It's a gene amplification test for the biomarkers that is associated with the colorectal neoplasm. And it also tests for the hemoglobin that, that might be shedding into the stool from the colon. Um, the patient basically collects the stool in a special collection kit and mails it to the company for the testing. It has to be received by the company within 72 hours of the collection. The advantages of this test is that it can be done at home by the patient. Um, there are no, again, medical or dietary restrictions. You don't need any bowel prep or sedation. If the test is positive, it is followed up with the clonoscopy. If the test is negative, then we just do a follow-up every three years instead of doing an animal test like FIT test. So um, 
What could be the hiccups or the disadvantages with this test is that the patient may not be able to completely collect the full stool sample as is instructed by the collection kit because the collection kit is a very big bucket. It's not a small container, so you need to fill up that collection kit, and that might be a very big um, uh, sort of a adherence, non-adherence, sorry, to the on the patient's part. The stool sample also needs to be received by the company within 72 hours of the collection. So you need to collect it and then have it mailed and have it received by the company within 72 hours. That can also lead to non-adherence on the patient's part. So you have to collect the whole bowel movement? Yes. Okay. You actually have to fill that whole bucket up that they sent, so, which might not be okay. possible in the first go. <laughs> so you have to mail that. Yes. You know, your poop. Okay. Yes. So uh, in our clinic, we're actually wanting to start this test more often because they have some advantages, like you said. And uh, all the MAs, they have the ordering form. Just sign it and ask your MA to fax it. Patients will be contacted by the, by the manufacturer and the patients will mail their sample, and you, as the provider ordering the test, you will receive the, the result to discuss it with the patient. The patients don't receive the result, only the, the doctor, okay? And uh, so we have to make a disclosure here. We're not getting any money from ColorGuard, okay? Yes, we're not. I wish we did, but <laughs> we're not. Okay, <laughs> but now we're gonna talk about the next um, method that you can use for screening. So one of the most commonly used screening methods in the United States is the clonoscopy, and um, it is performed every 10 years or so if it is normal. Uh, this this is done by um, a trained clinician who, who uses a clonoscope or an endoscope to directly visualize the colon. Um, the advantages and the disadvantages that are associated with the chronoscopy are that this is the definitive test for detection of any precancerous adenomas or the colorectal cancer, and it has a very high sensitivity and a specificity level. It also allows for the clinician to take biopsies at that time if needed. Um, the disadvantages are that it requires very vigorous bowel prep. You need to take laxatives. Uh, you need to stop your uh, diet a few days before taking your um, colonoscopy exam. Also, sedation is needed during this uh, procedure. So a patient might need another attendant on discharge due to not being mentally alert or having sedation effects, might not be able to drive back home. Sedation-related side effects can also be uh, um, seen in this um, clonoscopy procedure. Clonoscopy-related bowel injuries, such as perforation or bleeding, can also occur. And then clonoscopy has also been found to be less effective in detecting the right-sided uh, colon lesions as compared to the left-sided colon lesions because uh, sometimes of the, uh, the contouring or the location of the polyp. Okay, so if you have to explain colonoscopy to a patient, how will you do it? How will you explain what colonoscopy is? So, um, this... Look, tell me, I'm the patient. So, so, doctor, tell me what a colonoscopy is. So, if I have to explain it to a patient who has never had colonoscopy before, I will tell them that this is a test, a definitive test, which, or, which is a screening test to um, rule out if the patient has any 
cancers or if he has any polyps or has any funky growth in his bowel that we can be concerned about in the future. Um, so in addition to how this procedure will go, I will also explain the patient what preparation has to be made prior to this, which I have found out to be a put off for the patients because it does require a lot of effort on the patient's part. And sometimes patients are not willing to make that effort. So you need to um, actually do a bowel prep prior to going for this procedure, which means that you have to drink this whole bar, whole gallon of uh, Golite solution, which makes you go to the bathroom very often. Mm -hmm. It makes you clean the bowel and till your bowel really empties up, uh, you need to keep drinking that till you are completely not passing any stool. It's just liquid that you're passing. Also, you need to stop eating a lot of fatty food. You need to eat, um, you know, more uh, soft diet prior to having this procedure done. Um, so you're not making any stool, actually, in addition <laughs> to drinking that, yeah. go lightly, too. <laughs> so wh wh what are they going to do to me, doctor? So uh, they, the, 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 the clinician, uh, whether be it a gastroenterologist or be it your primary care physician who has been trained to do this uh, procedure, they're going to sedate you in most of the time. You'll, you'll undergo um, sedation, which means putting you to sleep. Then they will put a camera, as I explained it to the patients in the most simple terms, that a camera will go up from your um, rectum or your poop hole all the way up into your bowel. And then they're going to look if there's any abnormality, if there's any funky growth, if there's any polyp, which is, you know, maybe a small growth. Um, and if they do find anything that is growing, they will be able to take a biopsy at that time. So this not only helps for the screening, but it is it can be diagnostic. You know, we're taking biopsies. Uh, we can have results during that period. Okay. Thank you, doctor, for explaining it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so for the record, guys, we didn't cover other methods like uh, flexible sigmoidoscopy, CT colonography, methylated SEPT9 DNA, which is actually a serologic test, but those are other options to screen for colorectal cancer and polyps. So if you are more interested to dig into that, just go uh, to the websites that we're going to talk about later. So I just wanted to make a comment here for polyps. Sometimes we get these uh, pathology reports and the patients, they call us and they want to know why it's going to be the next step. Usually the GI specialist should call the patient to give them the result uh, of their biopsy but sometimes the patients they call us up. It's good to remember some things about polyps. So polyps, um, you know, the report can say that it's a pedunculated, pedunculated or sessile or sessile uh, polyp. That only refers to the shape of the polyp. Uh, but both pedunculated and non-pedunculated, they can turn into cancer. Okay, the term only describes the shape of the, the polyp. It can be like a mushroom or not like a mushroom, basically. So, but then the pathology report can say it's a hyperplastic or hamartomatous or inflammatory polyp. Normally, those polyps are not cancerous. Only in certain cases, depending on the size, the number, the location, and certain syndromes, they can become cancer. But normally, they don't cause any cancer. But if you have a report that says sessile serrated polyp or ad adenomatous, uh, I can say that word very well, adenomatous 
polyp, then you have to be very careful with those. They are considered precancerous polyps and require close surveillance. So the GI specialist should contact this patient to uh, arrange the follow-up. Usually it can be as close as six months to one year or as far as ten, every 10 years. But usually when there is polyps, it's the, the period to, is, to screen again is usually less than 10 years. So, but now you have it, now you know it. So if it says hyperplastic, hamartomatous, or inflammatory, they are normally not cancerous. If they say sesocerrated polyp or adenomatous polyps, they are probably need a, a colonoscopy sooner than later. Okay, so Dr. Faridi, um, I'm gonna ask you question number three now. So why is that knowledge important for you and your patients? So, um, as a primary care physician, the knowledge is important so I can offer my patient all the options on the table which are available for the colorectal cancer screening. Uh, limiting patients to one choice, uh, sometimes the most often one colonoscopy, um, can result in non-adherence due to the different factors that we already discussed, like having fear, having anxiety, having an invasive procedure. Um, so patients need to be offered all the choices, which we have, and the FIT test, the FOBT, uh, Cologuard, sigmoidoscopy, in addition um, to colonoscopy. So if the patients do result positive from any of the other screenings, we can always go ahead and do the further interventions and recommendations can be offered to the patient, um, which is better than having no screening at all and having the patient go undiagnosed. So colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in the U.S. It causes about 50,000 deaths a year. So that's why it's so important to screen your patients so you can detect this, um, this cancer very early in life. And um, so don't like limit yourself to order the colonoscopies. If it's a patient that is all, um, younger than 50, and the patient is having, you know, lower GI bleed and is losing weight, you always uh, think about colonoscopy. Don't just limit yourself to after age 50. And we have had some patients that are very young with colon cancer. So age 50 is just for average risk patients. Okay. And um, how do you get this knowledge, uh, Dr. Faridi? Um, I think like everybody else, I basically go up to the um, up to date. That is my go-to for all the guidelines and for recommendations in addition to AF AFP. Um, also, if I do get the time, um, I do read JAMA for current recommendations and the guidelines. So, the, okay. So, how do you get motivated to find this information? So, for this particular topic, uh, I have had my own personal experience in the clinic uh, that when I was offering chronoscopy to the patients, they were non-compliant um, I made the referrals, uh, they had appointments set up, but because of their uh, fear issues or the anxiety issues, they did not show up for colonoscopy. Um, also, I was I, I felt that I was lacking on my part to not be offering them all the choices. I could have offered them the FIT test, I could have offered them the Cologuard, um, but maybe I was just focusing too much on the colonoscopy. Um, you know, so um, I, I found out that my patients were being uh, non-compliant to that screening. So I sort of changed uh, my way um, 
coming to that screening aspect in the preventive care, and I started to um, recommend them everything. You know, if if not if nothing at all, at least get a basic fit test or an FOBT test done. Okay, excellent. So the colonoscopy is the gold standard for screening, but if you cannot do a colonoscopy, then do the other two tests. Yes. That's very good. So thank you so much, Dr. Faridi. I'm glad that we made it in one take. Thank so that's you so good. much for having me. Okay. Thank you, guys. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Speaking Medical, Medical Word of the Week, Smegma. Smegma, also known as penile cottage cheese, is white or yellow secretion found between the glands of the penis and the foreskin of men and other mammals. It is an oily mix of sebum with dead cells that may become cheesy and smelly when left stagnant. The combination of warmth and smegma creates a rich breeding media where bacteria can grow and create a characteristic stench. This can lead to infections as well. Smegma is not exclusive to men, as women also secrete smegma around the clitoris and labia minora. Believe it or not, smegma is essential for lubrication and good health of genital organs. Just keep it under control with regular hygiene. Alternate definition by Urban Dictionary includes a delicious butter substitute. Hello, I'm Dr. Garmendia. I'm here today with our section, Spanish, por favor. The Spanish word of the week is diarrea. When you see the spelling of this word, you can quickly realize it is diarrhea, but the pronunciation could be kind of different. Diarrhea, in Spanish, consists of watery or loose stool. The patient may present to you and tell you, Doctor, tengo diarrhea. It is a common complaint among our patients, and you need to investigate the characteristics of the stool, asking for any blood, any mucus, and also inquire about duration, frequency, triggers, and alleviating fardus. Many of our patients relate diarrhea to parasite or other infection, and you know, it is not always the case. I invite you to read about the work cup of diarrhea to learn more, but now you already know the Spanish word of the day, diarrhea. For your insanity. Last week we gave you three questions and got many good answers. We picked the first person who answered correctly and the winner of our contest is... Lubna Nasser. Congratulations. Here are the answers to our questions. For the treatment of acute cluster headache, in what nostril is recommended that you administer the intranasal tryptin? Dr. Manzanares explained that it should be administered in the contralateral nostril to the symptoms of the acute cluster headache i.e., if your headache is on the right side, administer it in the left nostril. What is the other term used for wet-to-dry dressing in wound care? Dr. Tu recommended the term moist-to-dry because the dressing should not be soaking wet, just moist. Why do we use single-dose vaccine vials instead of multi-dose vaccine vials? Dr. Saito, wait, that's me. Explain that we use single-dose vaccine vials to avoid thimerosal. Thimerosal is a mercury-containing preservative. Now we conclude our episode number 15, colorectal cancer screening. 
Dr. Faridi explained the difference between FIT, ColoGuard, and colonoscopy. Remember to offer different options to screen your patients who are 50 years and older for colon cancer. Smegma might not be the most elegant of human body secretions, but it has its many benefits. Personal hygiene is key to keep smegma under control and prevent disease. What's diarrhea without an H? It's the Spanish word diarrhea. And congratulations to Lubna Nasser, who is not only wiser for listening to this podcast, but also $20 richer as the winner of this week's quiz. This is the end of Rio Bravo Q Week. We say goodbye from Bakersfield, a special place in the beautiful Central Valley of California, United States, a land where growing is happening everywhere. If you have any feedback about this podcast, please contact us by email at rbresidency at clinicasierravista.org or visit our website, riobravofmrp.org backslash qweek. This podcast was created with educational purposes only. Please visit your primary care physician for additional medical advice. Our podcast team this week is Hector Ariaza, Elisa Dermogadichin, Fermin Garmendia, and Steven Saito. Audio by Saraj Amrutia. See you next week.